Knowledge is the key. CannabisRadio.com is here to keep you in the know on Just Say No. Did you know there are over 100 medical conditions that can benefit from cannabis therapy? Just Say No talks to patients who have used cannabis to treat their medical symptoms and create a better quality of life. Each week, we will tackle a chronic condition by talking to patients, doctors, and researchers with the goal to helping you live, learn, and thrive. Just say yes to Just Say No. Now here is your host, Ryan Hunt from MJWellness.com. Thanks for joining us. I'm Ryan Hunt from MJWellness.com, and welcome to Just Say No. Each week here on Just Say No, we evaluate, investigate, and give a thorough look at all the various diseases we think cannabis therapy can help. Today on our show, we'll be talking about safe use and wellness with marijuana. Our guest today we're very excited is Dr. Jordan Tischler. Dr. Tischler graduated from Harvard Medical School. He's trained in internal medicine and now runs Inhale Medical Consulting in Massachusetts. Hello and thanks for joining us, Dr. Tischler. Hey, it's great to be here and thanks for having me. Sure. Now, your history, you worked as uh, an emergency physician treating probably countless alcoholics and drug users. I know probably very few of our listeners are actual uh, physicians who have had to deal with that. What, what did you see in the, in the emergency room? Uh, what was the most common drug that people are dealing with? Well, I mean... So, in fact, I work for the VA and still do as an emergency room physician. And uh, as you can imagine, the veterans population is a uh, unique and um, challenging population, a uh, very deserving population, I would add, as well. But there are days when I uh, rightly would feel that even the patients there who are there for a purely medical reason uh, are their care is complicated by an overlay of various substance issues and to some extent mental health issues. And, you know, without question, alcohol is the number one most damaging substance that I see, and it is rampant. So if you're, if you're dealing with the VA, you, you must be dealing with a lot of PTSD, and alcohol is probably the easiest thing for someone returning to grab and deal with their PTSD. Have you seen people using marijuana to manage their PTSD? Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, and you hit the nail on the head. There's a lot of PTSD, but in, a, in addition to PTSD as a sort of single diagnosis, there's a lot of sort of um, uh, under the surface, not terribly diagnosed anxiety, depression, um, and uh, and then, you know, some level of sort of, uh, you know, more complicated organic uh, mental disorders that often occur in, in young adults uh, for the first time, right about the time that they might be joining the service. So all of these things factor in. And yes, coming back from the service, particularly, um, you know, uh, uh, um, particularly in areas where there's actual combat, the stress levels uh, are tremendous, and PTSD is is a very real and damaging phenomenon. And yes, I I have seen a number of patients that have been using cannabis effectively for treatment of their you know various underlying psychiatric difficulties post service. PTSD being, as I mentioned, only one of them. To be honest, in the VA, 
the ability of veterans, as you well know, to access medical cannabis is it doesn't exist at this point. In fact, at the moment, we're not even allowed to discuss this with our patients. So those those veterans who I have taken care of in the cannabis realm have been people who have come to me, you know, without reference to the VA, but into my private practice where I practice this uh, cannabis therapeutics. Gotcha. So if if you're not even allowed to talk about it, what is the traditional course of therapy for someone who's suffering from PTSD? Oh, well, that's a very interesting question, you know, and, and one that I'm sort of only marginally qualified to answer insofar mm-hmm. as I see them when they come in, 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 you know, in rough shape in the emergency department. But ultimately, you know, it's complicated because you have this um, a convergence of whatever they're doing to treat themselves, which are often harmful, such as narcotics or benzos or uh, alcohol, as we've talked about. And so a large portion of the treatment gets focused on helping them get off of those substances or at least control the behaviors that that both led to their using those substances and also have become bad habits as a result of those substances. And then obviously then there's a, another step, which is to treat the underlying you know, emotional discomfort. And a lot of that is group therapy, therapy cognitive behavioral, behavioral therapy. And those can be licenses. You know, it's not like people kind of go into therapy for a few weeks and suddenly they're better. Um, this becomes a, a lifetime of getting themselves as better as they can be. Yeah, I, I wonder about, we hear that you kind of need to hit rock bottom in order order to get help or you you need to want to help yourself in order to get past these addictions that people deal with is and you're dealing with people who are coming in and in crisis do you can you tell when someone has hit rock bottom and they're they're ready for help or do they just keep coming back oh i wish it were that simple um the truth is that uh what you and i might consider rock bottom isn't necessarily rock bottom enough. Um, These are incredible uh, circumstances and incredible substances in terms of the damage they do and also in terms of the degree to which they're really habit forming. And and they're habit forming also because they're not in isolation of the social context, meaning that, you know, with alcohol, you might have your drinking buddies and they may not have the same problems with the substance that you do, but because you like to hang out with them or you live in this neighborhood where this is what's going on, and this may be even more true with some other drugs like uh, like the narcotics and, and heroin in particular, um, it's very difficult to get out of that behavioral pattern. There's a limit to what the medical system can do because you can't very well kind of pluck people out of the environment in which they choose to live or in some cases, have no choice but to live. Nonetheless, we certainly see a lot of patients coming back and, 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 and we provide them, particularly in the VA, with access to a lot of resources. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it does not. And you've said that, you know, you've never seen anybody ever overdose on marijuana. Is that kind of what led you to open your own practice, just seeing that it's not as harmful as... Maybe people were thinking yeah. that that's exactly what it was, is that, you know, around the time that we enacted the law, um, I sort of started to think, well, gee, what does this mean to me? 
and I started to evaluate its role, marijuana's role in, in my practice, you know, in the emergency room. And I kept thinking, there are all these poor guys here and, you know, whose lives are being mangled by all of these substances as well as these mental health disorders, yet none of them are coming in sort of strung out, if you will, on, on marijuana. So maybe this drug isn't as bad as, you know, everyone would like to believe, and maybe there's actually some data to support using it in a positive way, in a, in a therapeutic way, and that got me really digging into the literature and I found sort of to my surprise as a sort of tra traditionally trained physician that there's a lot of scientific literature and while not all of it is super good, some of it's quite excellent. And so I sort of started digging into that further and further and came to the conclusion that, you know, as, as you had mentioned earlier, the safety profile of marijuana is better than a huge swath of the drugs that we use very, very um, commonly in uh, conventional medicine. Um, and as such, we as physicians should not be afraid of it any more than we have a healthy respect for all the other medications that we use. Um, and if you can fit it into that rubric, then you can start to know what, it's not a panacea, it doesn't cure everything, it's not completely safe. It can provoke problems for some people, but compared, again, to all the other types of medications that we use all the time, it's so safe that we need to stop thinking about it in that sort of reefer madness way and figure out what it is actually good for. And it turns out it's actually good for a whole bunch of stuff. And also, right. you know, we, we as physicians like to understand why things work the way they do. And for many medications, we have a pretty good understanding of that. Some of them we have less understanding. For example, you know, some of the SSRIs and antidepressants, we understand some of it, but our understanding of the brain in general is fairly limited. And, you know, fitting cannabis with its multiple cannabinoids that are all sort of doing something important kind of makes doctors a little skittish you have to get past the point of saying, you know what, it, it, it's okay for there to be a multiplicity of compounds in here because what we're really interested in here is the effect of them all. And that's okay. We can evaluate that without necessarily saying this is the one cannabinoid, whether it's THC or CBD or any of the other, you know, lesser known ones, and say well, it's that one. You know, in fact, every time we've tried to say, oh, it's that one, whether it's, again, THC, like in Marinol during the 80s, or CBD in the last few years, generally speaking, isolated cannabinoids don't really do what we like them to do. So you have to kind of put that model of thinking aside and look at what works for the patient in a particular condition. I'll tell you what, we need to take a break. But when we come back, oh, I'd like to talk to you about the ways which we ingest marijuana and your opinions on what the best way to take marijuana is. We will be right back once you get to know our sponsors. 
Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. MJWellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on MJWellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out MJWellness.com today. Just Say No, spelled K-N-O-W, is back with more conversation about curing and healing with cannabis, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back to Just Say No. I'm Ryan Hunt from MJWellness.com. We've been discussing addiction with Dr. Jordan Tischler, and I'd like to get into some safe ways of taking marijuana. I, I know we all have our own experiences out there with edibles and smoking and tinctures, and I'd like to just kind of understand from your perspective, what are we doing to our bodies when we're taking this? I'd like to start maybe with a, one of the harder ways of doing things, which is dabbing. Could you... You know, it seems to be all over the all over the news lately. Can you explain dabbing? And is there any medical reason people should be dabbing, or is this a purely a recreational activity? Wow. Um, yeah, you're definitely jumping in on the deep end. Um, <laughs> I think. Well, first of all, dabbing is basically using a marijuana concentrate. So instead of using the whole flower the active ingredients in the flower are extracted using a variety of solvents, although butane uh, is one of the common ones. It certainly can be done with other things like hexane, CO2, water even. And then, you know, you heat, heat up a um, inhalation device, which is often sort of a bong with a particular kind of uh, adapter on it, and then you put this concentrate on there and inhale the fumes that come off. Um, and as for medical use, I think that um, there's certainly no known advantage to dabs over uh, inhaled whole flour. Uh, and there has been some concern that the extraction process may not extract all of the cannabinoids sort of equally and therefore may be not as healthful as we think whole flour is. 
but I also haven't seen any evidence to support that conjecture. And in large part, many of the minor cannabinoids that exist in whole flour are things that we don't have a great handle on what they are and what we what they do for us. So it's it's kind of hard to answer that question. There's a lot of focus, particularly in the dabbing slash dabs manufacturing world on THC, which is sort of the obvious um, place to point the ship, but it's probably not the sole therapeutic agent in flour. And so it's kind of hard to know exactly what's, what the dab will do for us. I haven't seen well, any harm you from know, dab. Speaking of extractions, I, I was super disappointed and super upset with you to hear that mm-hmm. tinctures are nothing more than snake oil. <laughs> Although I Well, think, let me qualify think, that yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, go ahead. I think that tinctures are complicated, mm. that there are lots of manufactured products and some of them are just going to be more effective than others, and it probably depends an awful lot on who's making them. So for my patients, I tend to tell them to avoid these things, largely because it's a question of, you know, how safe is this particular bottle that you got, and also how effective is it going to be? Did they decarboxylate it? Um, is it bioavailable? Uh, and the other thing that complicates tinctures in particular is that that we don't really think uh, – there's not a ton of good data to suggest that sublingual uh, uh, ingestion is particularly effective, and that's complicated by the fact that, in general, people don't spit out the tincture when they're done having it sit in their mouth. So they're swallowing it, and that obviously confounds your ability to detect whether the, the, the um, progress of the medication through the oral uh, mucosa or the skin of the mouth um, is really what's driving a train. So I think yeah. it can be disappointing for a number of reasons, and they're very expensive in general. So my general feeling is that they're not someplace that I would point people. And in that same vein, um, uh, you know, I think that SABs are... Um, they feel great. They might smell great. They're certainly good for sort of two people to participate in, um, and and may very well be important um, in in sort of relationship building stuff. But it's not clear to me that it's the best uh, and the most reliable way of dosing one's medical cannabis. Now, I'm sure that there are people who are going to be listening to this this show and who are going to be very upset with me about that and. I would be more than happy to be shown uh, in some vaguely rigorous way that this that, I, that I'm wrong, quite frankly. I mean, I have an open mind about these things, but this is my advice based on my experience to date. I think that leads into a question just kind of about testing and the labels on things like edibles and the THC and CBD levels. How confident are we that those are accurate? Ooh, that's a good question. Well, I think that the fact that we're pushing towards testing at all is definitely a step in the right direction. And if you're going to compare that with, like, you know, getting a, a, a baggie in the back alley, I think that, you know, we're, we're definitely heading in the right direction. I have a number of colleagues who run medical marijuana testing facilities, and to the extent that I understand their process, I think they're very, very meticulous. And I think that when you take a product, whether it's a bud or something else, in to be tested, it appears that they're doing a very good job of that sort of thing. Where I think that this falls down a little bit 
and this is sort of more of an experience in the industry thing, is that, you know, there was a study from California from about a year ago where they took a bunch of commercially available brownies or other edibles off the shelf and then ran the tests on them and found that the the tests on the brownie didn't match what was on the label very well. So, you know, the way these things get done, of course, is that you take a representative sample of your product to the lab. You can't test every actual brownie or there would be nothing to sell anybody. So, you know, if the product, if the brownie batter doesn't actually get the cannabinoids mixed in very uniformly, then one brownie could be very, very potent and the brownie at the other end of the pan could be very, very weak. And I think that, you know, that's an issue of industrial process that I think we're probably growing into and that there are examples and people who know how to do this from other baking industries who eventually will get, you know, tapped as a resource or brought on board as an employee in all of these cannabis-related manufacturers. So I think, you know, that that remains a bit of a bugaboo, but I'm sure that that's just a matter of time and effort on everybody's part. Yeah. Well, we need to take another break, but when we come back, let's talk a little bit about safely using marijuana. We will be right back once you get to know our sponsors. Your connection to quality cannabis insurance services is spelled K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R. That's Karcher Insurance. We have worked with ventures like cannabis for over 60 years. We're proud to represent over 50 companies with tailor-made cannabis plans for owners just like you to insure your product, your plants, and your pursuits. K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R spells out their full-service insurance services, ranging from commercial to bonds, to personal, from life to health, and more. Contact the team at KarcherInsurance.com and let our experience work for you. That's K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R Insurance.com. Contact Karen and the team at Karcher Insurance at 1-844-421-3560. That's 844-421-3560. InternetMarketingNinjas.com is the online dojo of the highly trained and skilled Internet Marketing Ninjas. Disavow documents, reconsideration requests, Panda and Penguin penalties. Let our superior SEO ninjas confront all of your link-related issues. The Internet Marketing Ninjas are equipped to master any marketing exercise, content creation, authorship, link building, PPC, and more. Plus, build more buzz for your brand with our social media marketing strategy. Discover all that the Internet Marketing Ninjas can do for you. Visit the online dojo now at internetmarketingninjas.com. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's order. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. MJWellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on MJWellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. 
learn, live, and thrive. Check out mjwellness.com today. Just Say No, spelled K-N-O-W, is back with more conversation about curing and healing with cannabis, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back. I'm Ryan Hunt from MJWellness.com, and we've been talking to Dr. Jordan Tischler about the ways we use marijuana. I'd like to jump into a few different, maybe controversial um, patients who are using marijuana and whether they should or not. And I wanted to jump into using marijuana when you're pregnant. Is Do we know if it's safe or not? You know, that that is controversial. Um, I think that to answer your question, do we know if it's safe or not? I think we do not know, which is not to say, no, it's not safe or yes, it is safe. I think that, that the jury on that must remain out. Um, we have basically one pretty good study from the 1980s. that was done by Dr. Melanie Dreyer, uh, then of UMass in which she conducted studies in Jamaica uh, looking at women there who got pregnant um, and gave birth compared with controls who did not, uh, who, were, who were obviously pregnant, but who were not using marijuana. So yes, marijuana, no marijuana. And what she found was that, in fact, that there was no discernible harmful effect on uh, the, the newborn children and followed them out to about five years and um, had not seen any ill effect. So I think that's very reassuring. It's, the studies did not have a large number of women and children in them. Um, and what's interesting to me and sort of a little concerning is that nobody seems to have done the, the obvious follow-on, uh, which would be to, to take that beginning information and, and go forward and do it again and do it again with larger numbers of women. So the fact that it hasn't been reproduced is a little, is a little concerning. Uh, but of course, it's also complicated by the you know the, the nature of the politics at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, let's talk about of, let's yep. talk about children and teenagers real quick, if we can. Cool. I, I know um, in cases for seizures and Dravet syndrome, it, it it seems to be a lifesaver for for parents and treating their children. But you know, there's other conditions like ADHD that um, we use for we use to treat or use marijuana to treat. Is that safe for children to take? All right. Good question. So, you know, with everything in medicine, it's a double-edged sword. So you have to ask the question, not just is it safe, but what, what is the outcome of not doing something? Um, and so, you know, in a life-threatening condition where people are having, you know, 100 seizures a day or these children are having them, then I think you can make the argument that not treating um, is more harmful than treating particularly with a relatively non-toxic substance like cannabis. Um, when you get into categories of, you know, teenagers who are otherwise functioning reasonably well uh, and where there are other therapeutic modalities, then you start to really have to look at what are the more subtle types of harm that may be caused. And the studies in teenagers right now, I think, are generally pretty positive. Uh, there have been some studies that looked at teenage brains um, as they mature using what's called functional MRI, and those tend to that have shown changes in brain structures compared to, to people who are not using that have been a little bit worrisome. 
But when you look at long-term social consequences um, of marijuana use in teens, what you tend to find is that teens grow up to be highly functioning adults with no discernible difference from teens who were non-users who grew up to also be functioning adults. So, um, you know, there's a little bit of a mixed bit of data there, but the stuff that looks at the right endpoints, the things that really matter, like can you maintain a relationship, can you get and keep a job, and that sort of thing, that's very uh, positive. A functional MRI is great technology, but it's looking at things that are not directly correlated with the kind of social outcomes that we, or medical outcomes that we're really interested in. Like, how does it affect people as people? So in general, I think it's fairly safe, but we need to be cautious as well. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, we we are out of time. Um, I wanted to, I could could spend all day talking to you. I have a thousand more questions. Maybe we can invite you back soon. Um, That would be lovely. I've got uh, some points I'd love to make too, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Great. Then we definitely will. Um, like to thank you all for joining us on this edition of Just Say No. And thank you again, Dr. Jordan Tischler. Uh, thank you I'm to our producers you. for making uh, the show possible and finding these great guests. You can download episodes of our program by going to CannabisRadio.com or subscribing to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or iHeartRadio. You can follow the show on Facebook and Google+. For more information about our guests and to read more about patients using marijuana to control their symptoms and to talk to me, please go to mjwellness.com. You can find Dr. Tischler at inhalemd.com. Join us next week when we'll tackle more conditions that can be managed using marijuana therapy. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.